Good morning. It's, it's good to, hey, that's quite a welcome. Thank you. Uh, it's good to be here this morning. Um, I want to thank you for showing up today. As I was driving in, I couldn't believe how beautiful it was. And so uh, there's quite a, a lot of temptation to, to skip church. I couldn't today. I was busy. So um, I'm glad to see you here this morning. And uh, this is actually my first time venturing outside of Tigard to a, a different church on a Sunday. So it's good to see all of your faces and see that you are, in fact, real. This is not some wild ruse. Uh, and so I'm, I'm excited to be with you this, mor- be with you this morning, and I'm, I'm excited to share. I was glad that uh, Rick gave me the opportunity to, to speak with you this morning. You're in a safe space, Dakota. Okay. I'm getting that sense. Um, so as was stated, uh, we're going to be talking about fasting this morning. And before we jump into that, I wanted to say a few things about it. Um, because we're going to be focusing in on fasting, um, I, I don't want us to feel like fasting is the best and ultimate of the spiritual disciplines. And I think it's easy to feel that way as we get into it and talk about it. We tend to maybe put it on a pedestal. And so if, you're, if, if you haven't engaged a ton in fasting or if it's still something that you're kind of not sure what is going on there, don't feel like you've missed the boat spiritually in any sense at all. But hopefully by the end of this morning, you will be compelled to maybe press into it uh, once we have a good, clear understanding of what it is uh, for those of you who might be wondering. Um, as I prepared to share with you uh, this morning, I had a few conversations with some family and some friends about fasting. And I just wanted to get a read from them um, what their take was when it came to fasting. And um, I wasn't totally shocked by the responses, but, but maybe a little bit. Uh, what, I, what I quickly discovered is that there's, a, there's kind of a negative connotation some people have when, when they think about fasting, as if it's kind of a, an antiquated thing that we do to appease a God that is, is angry at us, and if we can make ourselves suitably unhappy, that makes him, uh, that makes him happy for some reason. Um, but more so, so that, that might be one way that we, we, we think about fasting is sort of just this antiquated notion. But uh, another thing is probably more uh, prevalent is just kind of a, a un, uh, just not sure what to do with it. How does it show up in our daily life? Like what We don't come to it very naturally, and so we're just not sure what to do. And so there's sort of a shroud and a mystery surrounding fasting. And so hopefully this morning as we dive into Scripture, uh, we'll get a clear sense of what it is and then be encouraged by that. Um, before, before we go into Scripture, I want to go a little further down the road and talk about what fasting is not. Um, it's not a way to help us earn anything from God. It doesn't make God love us anymore. It's not a way for us to, maybe we've, we've done something that we are regretting or we're having um, remorse over or we feel convicted over. And so we, we, we don't want to go to a fast as a way of sort of punishing ourselves to make ourselves feel better. Uh, that would be an inappropriate use of a fast. And as we launch into Scripture, uh, it's, it's pretty clear that it's easy to misuse fasting, and, and, and Scripture, as we'll see, will combat that. So as we get in 
it's, uh, it's pretty evident that fasting is just sort of present from the beginning. And if we look at a list of people who have engaged in fasting, um, it's a pretty impressive list. By no means is this exhaustive, but we've got Moses, David, Elijah, Esther, Daniel, Anna, Paul, and of course, Jesus. Now, all of these men and women have engaged in fasting at key times in their lives and ministry as a way to seek something from God and went on to do powerful things. And so we see that it's just sort of present in, in, in Scripture. Uh, we're going to jump into Matthew. And as, as we go through this morning, Scripture has a lot to say about fasting. There's many passages throughout Scripture that, that talk about it. And so whenever I speak, I, I try to maybe camp out at one or two verses. So I'm going to break away from that, and I'm going to kind of touch on a, a not a ton, but a little more than, than usual. So we're going to have to move quickly through those. But hopefully, as we do that, it won't be confusing. It'll kind of help kind of shore up this clear understanding of what fasting is. So I want to start this morning by looking in Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse 16 through 18. Um, you can follow along with me if you like, or you can just listen as I read it. Um, it says, Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So two things there. First of all, again, it's easy to misuse a fast. And so we're giving clear parameters here that it's a private thing between you and God. And so keep it private. The second thing is that the verse starts out, it says, whenever you fast. And so there's an assumption that fasting is a natural part of a believer's life. It's not a command, thou shalt fast, but it is a strong assumption that fasting is a natural part of a believer's life. And again, it's easy to see how it could become something that's, that's misused. And so we're going we're gonna to combat that tendency with the truth. And so right there we have guidelines of how to do it appropriately. Next up in our journey through the landscape of Scripture as we look at fasting, we're going to look at Acts chapter 13. And there's a narrative. It goes from uh, verse 1 through 12. I'm just going to read 1 through 3 for time's sake. But as I read this, these three verses, I want us to, to think about what's going on in the church at this point in Acts chapter 13, and how practical fasting finds itself into this narrative. So, Acts chapter 13, 1 through 3. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So here we have a church in Acts, and they are at a critical time. And I feel like 
at any time, the church really could be considered at a critical time where we need to hear from God because we don't know what to do next. We see fasting is present in them. They're worshiping. And that word worshiping really has to do with ministering to one another in a sacrificial way. So they're really being the body of the church and they're fasting. And what we see happen in that is God shows up and gives them direction. And so what they do through fasting is they put themselves in a position to hear something from God that's practical. He gives them the the command to go out. And as we go through the narrative, if we, we track with this narrative, they go out with power, and they go out with authority. And again, we see fasting is, is right there as they're first discerning what to do, what's the next move. We see fasting. Next up, Acts chapter 14, verses 21 through 23. They preached the gospel in that city, and they won a large number of disciples. When they had returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples, encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting, we committed them. they committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Again, we see the work of the church, the critical work of the church. The, they're, they're, literally, they're literally establishing leaders in the church. And right there as present, we see fasting. And so again, it's this idea that we're putting ourselves in position to be sensitive to what God's doing so that we are tracking correctly with him. At that point, as we think about it, fasting becomes practical. There's a practical reason. We're putting ourselves in a position where we can receive something from God for the better of the ministry. There's something else at play when we fast, and we're going to transition from that reality that putting ourselves in position to receive something from God. There's something going on in our flesh. The spirit is pitted against the flesh. And we look at Matthew chapter 4, uh, 1 through 4. This is the story of Jesus going into the wilderness and he's tempted by the devil. So above we saw that fasting puts us in a position to hear from God in a powerful way. Next we'll see how it turns us into the spirit by putting the flesh in check. So Jesus goes out. Matthew chapter 4, 1 through 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, I love this, he became hungry. <laughs> like, oh, the scholars agree, that checks out. Uh, and the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So there we have Jesus in the wilderness, and he's being tempted. And Satan literally pits him against his flesh. His flesh is crying out for food. He's starving to death. At that point, at a 40-day fast, your body has depleted any nutrients that's left, and it begins to consume itself, your muscle tissue, in order to sustain itself. He's starving to death. And he can have bread in an instant. But because he's being guided by the spirit and not the flesh, he says, no, I'm going to stand up against 
that temptation, and I am going to go the right way, the right direction. I am not going to give in to that temptation. And so we see ourselves, there is a tendency for ourselves, to, for our flesh, to kind of want to take over. It's there, it's present all the time. And it wants to lead us down roads. And if we don't have uh, the Spirit leading us, then things kind of get out of hand. And fasting, again, is not the way to do it, but it is certainly a powerful way that we can get ourselves back in check. We see this again. So I know I'm going through verse to verse. Hopefully we can, you're tracking with me here. Um, so now we're going to jump ahead to Matthew 26. This is a story that's uh, verses 36 through 41. This is a story when, when Jesus is in the garden. So Matthew 26, verses 36 through 41. Then Jesus came to them into a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with Peter, he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and they began to be grieved, and he and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them, and he fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour. Keep watching and praying that you may enter in, you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So right there we see that Jesus is modeling this. He's fully man. And he's fully aware of what is about to happen to him. And he straight up says, I don't want to do it. If it's possible, take this from me. So right there, he's modeling this tension between the flesh. And he's saying, God, if there's any way to take this from me, take it. I don't want it. I can't, I can't do it. But, and then there's the but that says, your will be done. And so there we see that the healthy interplay between spirit and flesh as Jesus models it in the most extreme way possible. You can hardly imagine what it would, you know, he, he's, he knows what's about to happen to him. And being the one who created the human body, he understands the pain that is awaiting him at the cross. And he's wrestling with this. And, it, it, and it's not an easy decision, but he says, your will be done. And so there we see the, in the most extreme example, the, the, the right interplay between the flesh and, and faith. So we are to live by the Spirit. The Spirit must lead the flesh. So what, what is going on when we fast in light of this? What, what are we saying by all of this? We're saying that when we fast, we put ourselves in position to hear something from God. To, to, to lean into the spiritual, to, to put in check the flesh so that we're able to discern spiritual things because the flesh isn't able to do that. So we must be spiritual people. And when we fast, we, we, we put our flesh into check. Romans 8, 5 through 8. So it tells us, for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. 
For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is peace, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God, towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We see that it has to be that way. The Spirit has to direct the flesh. It's not the other way around. When we fast, we develop an, an ability, a greater heightened sense of the spiritual, and we're able to deny the flesh. If our flesh is, is driving the train, if we get it backwards, then that's, that's when we're in trouble. So we ask the question, why are fasting and the other spiritual disciplines good for us? They serve to recalibrate us. They help to restore the appropriate balance between the spirit and the flesh. This balance uh, and the need to restore a balance reminds me uh, when I was, uh, I grew up in Florida, and one of our favorite things to do was go to the beach. And I have a, a brother and a sister, and we love to go to the beach. And the rules were simple when we go to the beach. We had to stay in front of the blanket, and we couldn't go in deeper past our belly button. Beyond that, we could just have a heyday, and we did. And so there we were, swimming and splashing and jumping and having a great time for I don't know how long. Um, and amongst all the sounds and the noise, I heard a noise that stuck out. It was the sound of my mom. And she was not happy. And I was like, what happened? And I turn around and I'm like, where's the blanket? It's like, my brother, did you know? He's like, I didn't know. Like, what's going on? What? And what had happened was we didn't understand or appreciate the nature of ocean currents. And I wish I figured it out then because it would have been helpful information. I didn't know. I had nothing for my mom. I was like, we had no problem staying in front of the blanket, but my mom had looked up. She didn't see us, and so she's thinking Jaws or Riptide. Or, um, and so she eventually sees us, and we got in a lot of trouble. And I was like, we're trying. And I was like, she wasn't having it. But what happened was, as, as we were splashing and jumping, we had no problem staying in front of the blanket. But we weren't aware that there was a current all the while pushing against us. So every time we jumped up, we weren't landing exactly in the same place. And eventually, over time, we found ourselves over 100 yards away from the blanket. And our mom was very upset. Understandably so. I have four boys now. I understand. I would be upset too. Um, and so it is in the spiritual realm that we need to recalibrate ourselves. Fasting is a very powerful way to do that. We need to make sure that we are, in fact, being led by the Spirit and that the flesh isn't taking over. Even if we, in our heads, agree, yeah, of course, if we're not taking the time to, to pray or to fast or to engage in these other spiritual disciplines, that's a problem. You know, we can't just sustain ourselves. We, we, need, to, we need to recalibrate. So that's, that's one of the benefits of the fast. It helps us to enter further into the salvation that we've already received. We already have full access to God. 
We're not talking, fasting doesn't help us to, to, to get to, to the top shelf of God's goodness where we have, you know, just general access here. But there's like a hidden room in the back. And if we can fast, then we can get in there and get the goodies. Like the, the, the candies in the grandparents' pocket. Like if you do the right thing, then you can reach back there and get it. That's not God at all. The reality is we have full access to God right now. Already, there is nothing left. When he says on the cross, it is finished, he meant it. You're in. The sad thing is that oftentimes we don't believe that we're in and we struggle with venturing further into this salvation, this kingdom, and enjoying it in, in, a, deeper, in a deeper way. This kind of... Uh, being in but not realizing it reminds me of uh, the end of the, the prodigal son parable. Now we're familiar with the prodigal son. The son goes to the father in a despicable way and asks for his, um, his inheritance, squanders it, hopes to get back into the father's house as a servant, only to find out that his father restores him. I'm going really fast. Um, his father re- restores him not as a servant but as a son. And the father's reaction to all this is to throw a big party for the son. And everything is great until the older brother comes home from work and he hears the party going on and he's excited and he asks the servant, what's going on at the house? Oh, your brother came back. And he's angry and he won't go into the party at all. Eventually the father finds out that the son's outside and he's upset. And he comes out to the son and he says, why, why aren't you coming in? And the son says, how could you throw that party for that son? That should be my party. And the father's response is profound and very sad. The father tells the son, you have always been in my house. Everything that I have, everything that is mine is already yours. What are you waiting for? Essentially, that's what the father is saying. What are you waiting for? When we fast, when we engage into the disciplines, when we pray, what we are doing, all, all that this brings us to is to discern the spiritual things so that we can go out and not just hang out by the gate and say, well, we're in but actually go into the vast landscape of this salvation that God's given us and realize that he has set beautiful tables for us with delicious food and he has planted amazing gardens for us to go and experience. And he's calling us in, go. But the flesh, if, if, if we have that miscalibration between the spirit and the flesh, we, we don't do that. We're like the sun. Well, I'm behaving myself and that must be what you want. I, I'm working hard, and, and God's saying, what are you waiting for? Come on in. Enter into the fullness of this salvation. This morning, I'm hoping that this creates a, a clearer picture of what fasting is. I would invite all of you to consider Fasting. It doesn't need to be a 40-day marathon. Um, I have not done it, honestly. Um, I can count on one hand the amount of times that I have fasted. But this exercise of preparing this has, has made me want to, to go further into it. Um, 
what I would encourage you, if you're interested in fasting, just skip a meal. Skip dinner and pray and see how it goes. It's not, we're not trying to tip the scales in our favor. We're not trying to win favor with God. It's not a way if we're up for promotion to, uh, you know, ensure that we're on our best footing. It's not a way to punish ourselves. It's a way to hear from God. It's a way to silence the flesh, to press into the spiritual things that can only be discerned by the Spirit. So I would encourage you just to skip dinner and pray. If you're a little more adventurous, I would suggest this. Go from noon on one day to noon the next day. So you skip dinner, you get to sleep through a big portion of it, and then you get to skip breakfast, and then you're back at lunch. And spend time in prayer. It isn't just the the act of not eating. It's the act of not eating and saying, okay, I don't like this, and then pray. And as our hunger reminds us what we're doing, we're taking it to God and and see how he shows up. Because remember, this is... This is supposed to be happening. There's no, there's no ambiguity as far as the fasting and the relationship it is with the believers. It's part of this. It's an important part. Um, so I would encourage you just to start there and, and see where it goes. Um, you know, if you fast for 40 days, you're definitely going to want to, like, put it on Instagram and let everybody know. You're, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> um, yeah, it is easy to, to fall off the track of fasting, but uh, I think we've got some good guide rails to keep us, um, keep us in, in the right place. And I want to sort of begin to land the plane with this. All, this. all this fasting, all this talk about you know, denying the flesh, the, the purpose, what this is leading to is to bring us closer to God. That's it. Let's not be like the older brother who are living in the house with the Father, completely oblivious to the riches before him. Let's press into the spiritual. Let's know that there is nothing else that we need to do. This isn't a hurdle to overcome in order to receive the, the good stuff that God has. He's already he's given it to us. Let's hear the Father's voice as he's calling us with clarity into the deepness and the vastness of this salvation. And this kingdom that he has set before us. Let's go in and enjoy. I'm going to close with some prayer. And uh, I want us to bow our heads. And I want us to think about uh, this reality of fasting. And what it accomplishes for us. God, we thank you for this reality of fasting. We thank you for the fact that. You are intensely ready to reveal yourself to us in profound ways. God, I pray that we would put ourselves in position, God, that we would snuff out the flesh and allow to be led by the Spirit. God, as we approach the communion tables this morning, I pray that we would be grateful first for the fact that Jesus has paid for it all. He accomplished everything through the cross. And there's nothing left that we need to do or could do to earn any grace from him. Let's come to these tables knowing that we are created to be spiritual creatures because of his work and because of how much good he has to show us. 
Let's no longer be content to hang out by the gates of the city where we entered, but let's go in boldly and explore all that Christ has laid out for us deep inside of this salvation that he's given us, God. We thank you for this body, God. We thank you for Colossae. Um, We thank you for Sherwood and what you're doing here. And we pray all these things in your name.